All right, well, uh, I'm excited to be with you. How are you? How's everybody doing? Good? All right. Well, um, today we do conclude uh, our, our Ephesians teaching series. We've been in it since uh, the beginning of October, if you can believe that. Um, so we've been journeying through this for, for a number of weeks, and, and it's, been, it's been an incredible kind of letter to look at. Uh, again, this is a letter that Paul wrote to an ancient city, people in Ephesus, which today is just a bunch of ruins, right? It's just, it's, the, the city doesn't exist anymore today, but uh, it's existed, of course, and not only in the history books, uh, but it existed in this letter, but I think within this letter, because God's word is alive and active, like, we can still see the city of Ephesus and these people, like, they're just so real to us because we are, we are, this is us, right? Uh, and that's who they, uh, that's, it, it feels so intimate to who we're becoming even, and and so this morning, what I thought would be a great way to sort of try and uh, conclude uh, this letter is to have a couple uh, friends come and speak along with me about what God has been showing them and how Ephesians has impacted them uh, throughout the last number of weeks. And so I asked a couple to, to sort of prepare some thoughts uh, with me this morning, and, and so here they are. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, I'm Clint Williams. And I have a wife and two kids. My daughter turned six yesterday, and my son is two. Something you, you might not know about me, but you might, is that I whistle a lot. I mean, a lot. You're a whistler. I'm a whistler. You're one of those Since guys. Since I was, like, really young, I can still remember mostly, my dad. It's mostly old men that are whistlers. Yeah, That's but, cool. What are you saying? Nothing wrong with that. I love old men. <laughs> I'm almost there. I'm, like, 39, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a little bit about me. How long have you been coming to OKC Community? We have been coming here since December of 2016, Okay. so just over a year. Very good, very good. Ashley? My name is Ashley Steven. I moved to Oklahoma City about a year ago, and I work right next door above the Tower Theater. So one day I was on my lunch break and walked by, and I I think I interrupted a staff meeting or something um, (laughs) because I wanted to know what the church was about. So, yeah. Yeah, and one interesting fact about yourself, Ashley. So (laughs) (laughs) I realized... As a kid growing up, I would just like often go into foreign accents. <laughs> and as I've gotten older, it just kind of comes out more and more. So if you're around me for any extended period of time, it will not be uncommon for me to just like switch into a different accent. Yeah, sometimes when she does it all the time to me. And I'm like, did you just speak British to me? Or? Anyway. Yeah, I don't um, really like to do it in public, but um, <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's good. All right. Um, she's going to. Give the rest of this in Southern Bell accent. No. Uh. Listen, whatever you need, Tim, because I am from Georgia, y'all. So <laughs> that's good. All right. Well, um, I asked these two for specific reasons. There's, I could have asked a lot of people to share, um, and and uh, any one of you could be up here. But what I appreciate about these two specifically is Clint. Clint and I have become friends. He's in our small group. He and, he and, he and his family, and uh, we've become. Uh, friends, and I, he's a creative, insightful person, and, and I also appreciate where he's at in his journey, and that he's, he's not claiming that he's figured it all out yet, but he's, at the same time, uh, I see a new hunger in him, even in the time I've known him, to, to really grow in his relationship with the Lord, and I think that's a pretty great place to be in life, and so that's why I feel like he's got something to say, and then with Ashley, uh, I don't really know her that well, so we'll see what happens here. No. Um, <laughs> She's, she's amazing. As she mentioned, she confidently walked in one day and said, hey, who are you guys, basically? I'd like to get to know you. And uh, she, she kind of initiated a great friendship, not only with us, but even with who she works with at Giant. And, 
just has an amazing ability, I believe, to hear from the Lord and to be able to speak that to people. And, uh, and so I'm excited for them to share. And I just had basically one question for them to think about is how has how's God's word, specifically in this letter we've been in in Ephesians, how's it impacted you? And so, um, Clint, we'll start with you and okay. kind of share a little bit about kind of what came to your heart and mind as I asked you that question. So in order to answer that question, you need to know just a little bit of my backstory. And that, and, and you know, briefly, I grew up in a church that was very doctrine-oriented with more of a legalistic bent where God was this heavy-handed father who would punish you if you did something wrong, and there wasn't a lot of room for uh, the grace that I feel like is is part of the Bible and part of my experience now. So, you know, over the, I think the last decade, my view of God has changed from that to more of this idea that he's a father who actually loves me, and part of my experience as a father has helped deepen my understanding of, of God as my father. Um, but to your question of how has Ephesians really caused me or impacted me, I think it has really caused, the thing that has, has stood out the most is this idea of the old self versus the new self. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, I wrote down a few truths as I understand them, and one would be that I'm a masterpiece. God has created me as a masterpiece, his mm-hmm. creation. Uh, I am loved unconditionally. But then also there is this truth that my old self always wants to stay alive. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was... A while back, a long, long time ago, back in November, maybe, <laughs> there was a slide that actually highlighted this, this idea of the old self versus the new self, and then change and you know to what you ought to be. But at the center of that was this idea of imagine, and how to imagine this new self that Christ has allowed me to be, and I that I haven't been able to get that out of my head. So when you asked, that was the first thing that popped into my head was this idea of imagine. So, you know, there's this imagine a life of freedom and imagine patience with my kids and with my wife and imagine this tenderness that God gives me that I can then uh, give to other people and imagine the ability to love unconditionally and obedience that's born out of love and passion, but that is not born out of a list of behavioral modifications Mm. uh, that I have to check all the boxes in order to reach this status with God and that finally, you know, at that point, he'll love me unconditionally. Um, I can strive for that for forever and it's not ever going to happen. One of the verses that really stood out as I was thinking through this too was uh, Ephesians 3, 17 and 18 and it says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, and you may have the power to understand, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And we see these examples through the Bible of they talk about the trees being planted and the seeds being sown. And in my head, I had never pictured the idea of, of um, the roots growing down into his actual being and love, and that was really that just kind of really caused me to see that verse differently. Um, You know, and through this whole idea of imagining, reimagining myself as this new being in Christ, it's made possible by a loving Heavenly Father who has chosen to call me up and not call me out. Um, There's not this accusation. It's here's who you could be, and I know you can be, and I created you to be this person. Please, I just want to help you get there. Like, you can be this person. Um, who ask us to imitate him 
because he has imagined things for me, for me specifically, that I can't even fathom. And in my finite mind, that's really hard. Like, I don't even understand. Yeah. But he's going, you don't know what I've got for you, but I know, and it's infinitely better than what you ever, ever imagined. Yeah. Um, you know, and then something that Micah said last week about the idea of preaching the gospel to yourself and to myself and reminding myself that I'm saved and that Christ is my Savior. I think that's just, that's Ephesians for me has just been centered around that idea of imagine new yeah. self, old self. You said a lot of things I think that people can connect with. I think even as you say behavior modification and this idea of work, I mean, going all the way back to your story, you know, working to earn God's love versus receiving. I mean, all those things are so relatable, but I love how you've kind of continued to harp on this imagining self. So what's something practical for you that you feel like that God has really put in your heart to say, I've, I have to reimagine this about my new self? I think the thing that I live with day in and day out is this idea that I am a father to my children and a husband to my wife, and imagining a new way to treat them and to look at them. So whether that's how I relate to my wife when we get home after work and we're both tired, um, it's how I deal with my children, the idea of, you know, even with them calling them up and not calling them out, like, you can be better than this. And I just think as I've, you know, when my daughter was born, I just, it was immediate, like this love, this unfathomable love. And I tell her all the time, I said, you can't know how much I love you. Like, you just don't get it. And I say stuff like, I love you to the moon and back, and to the sun and back, and a million times more. And I feel that love, and I, I speak into her life and say nothing that you will ever do, ever, could cause me not to love you. But I have to, I have to believe that about God. Yeah. And I feel like that's part of this understanding of imagining. Like, he feels the same way, more than yeah. I feel about my, yeah. my kids. That's good. That's good. Well, Ashley, what about, what about you to this big question about, you know, how does the book of Ephesians impact you? Like, how does God's word affect your life? Not a big deal, right? So. No big deal. Quite, quite a big question. So for me, first of all, I just want to say that um, it's such an honor to get to fellowship with you like this. You know, scripture talks about that when we fellowship in the name of Jesus, there's something really special that happens, and the love of God is cultivated in the midst of us. And so um, I, I think I would encourage you, like in the same way that Clint and I have done with Tim and we're getting to do right now, do this with each other. Like grab someone and go to lunch and walk and say, oh, well, how did Ephesians affect you? And allow the Holy Spirit to fellowship amongst you. Um, so for this big question of the book of Ephesians, I did kind of go back through and think, okay, what did I see in Ephesians? And I went to a bird's eye view. So I want to walk with you just for a minute really quickly through this narrative that we've been pulled into by Paul. And we see first chapter one, and he talks about the blessing of God. And Ephesians 1, 3 says he's given us every spiritual blessing through Christ because we've been united with him. And then we get into chapter two and we get into salvation and kind of the, the current state of our souls and we're saved. And it's not by works, it's by grace through faith alone. And then we go into chapter three and we learn about the mystery of the love of God that Clint talked about when he read that scripture about how Christ indwells in our hearts. And then in chapter four, he kind of addresses us as a body. He was addressing Ephesians as a whole, and he talks about the church as a whole and um, what it is to be a mature church. And Tim talked about how to be a mature church, you need to be relationally healthy and you need to be theologically sound, and you need to be mature. And that sounds kind of redundant, but it's that thing, and, and it's when you're those things, you'll no longer be immature, and you won't be tossed to and fro. And 
Then we get into chapter 5, and it's like, what does this really mean to live as children of light? And he says, wake up. He says, awake, awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then as chapter 5 goes into chapter 6, he gets so practical, and he starts addressing things that are really just our everyday. He talks about wives and husbands. He talks about kids and parents. And I don't have a husband or kids, but I, what, it, what that tells me is this. It tells me that Paul was concerned with the practicality of everyday relationships, which tells me that Christ and, and God our Father is, is lovingly concerned with the practicality of my everyday relationships, whether that's a family in the future or it's my parents now or my siblings or my roommate or whatever that may be. And then we get into chapter 6 and we um, are presented with the reality of warfare in the spiritual realms. So that's kind of where my mind went, this kind of big picture narrative. And then I thought, okay, well, what now? You know, we're presented with all these great things in the beginning, like grace and love and blessing. And I'm like, this is awesome. I could be in Ephesians all day. And then Micah had the lovely task last week of telling us it's not all like daisies and roses all the time. We're in a battle. We're in a war. It's kind of depressing, but, you know. Um, and, and I, you know, I, for me, I often love finding analogies for our lives in children's literature. And I think that there's a reason why Jesus said, let the little children come to me, because there's a simplicity in the way they think. And so I love books like uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a moment, if you know about this story, these four children, they live in England, which is actually my homeland, as I said earlier. And, um, and they're, they're in an actual war in the physical place. And then they're transported to this other realm which is actually quite parallel to how we exist as Christians because we exist in a physical realm. You and I are right here on 23rd Street in Uptown in Oklahoma City, but the, most of the reality of our lives is actually lived in a realm that we can't see if you're walking in Christ. And so these children are put in this other realm and they're cast into a war and they're like, this isn't even our kingdom. We don't belong here and we can't do it. And then they come to find out they're actually the ones that are meant to save this kingdom. And um, I think what was really neat for me is um, as I look at the battle that we exist in, and I look at all the things that we're called to as believers, this grace of God and to be part of a mature church and to be relationally healthy, it can feel like a lot. And I, I, what I think would, I would be remiss to do is if I walked away from Ephesians and started making a checklist and said, okay, I need to have more faith. I need to love Christ more, and I need to love people more. And I think what uh, Paul isn't saying is do more. Try harder. Get better. He's not saying that at all. In fact, what he's saying is we have all the tools that we need. And Peter said in 2 Peter 1.3, he said, we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. And um, there's a scripture in Deuteronomy, which is a really great book. If you've never read it, go read Deuteronomy. It's really rich. Um, in Deuteronomy, it's to the Israelites, and it's talking about the command of God that's been given to, given to them. And it says, um, this word, it's not across the ocean that you have to go find it. It's not up in heaven that you have to have some priest or pastor or someone more lofty or more academic pull it down for you. Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, but the word is very near you, 
It is in your mouth and your heart so that you can do it. And you know what's really powerful about that scripture is it was written to an Old Testament people. They hadn't had the Messiah come yet. They hadn't had the indwelling of Christ like Clint read from Ephesians chapter 3. He didn't live in their physical bodies yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given to them. But you guys realize we actually have the word of God living in our hearts and in our lives. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So really, Ephesians is alive in you right now if you are in Christ Jesus. And um, yeah, that was a takeaway for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, amazing stuff from both of them. Here's, here's the thing that I, I wanted to ask Ashley, though, to kind of conclude with this, this portion. As, um, I believe that she's got an ability to hear from the Lord and an ability to communicate it. And so I said, hey, what is a word that you would encourage our body with and edify us with? So... Um, with that, with the idea that this, the word, it's something powerful that we have. And again, Paul, in the midst of, you know, going through this book, and then he gives us the reality of spiritual warfare in chapter six. He says, you know, our enemies, they're not flesh and blood, but they're darkness that we can't see. And he doesn't do that to make us afraid or to unsettle us or um, anything like that. But he actually really practically equips us. And he talks about, you know, we've all heard about the armor of God. He says, you know, the shield of faith and the shoes of peace of the good news, and the belt of truth. And as I was praying for you, my church family, uh, this week, I was like, all right, Lord, what's something that we can do right now to grab onto? And um, the thing that really came to my mind was that word in our hearts and the sword of the Spirit. And again, like I said, I love analogies of literature. And um, if you've ever read Alice in Wonderland, there's a piece that was represented in the movie version of 2016 that wasn't represented in the Disney cartoon, although I love them both. And um, so Alice, again, very similar to our lives as believers and very similar to the children in the Chronicles of Narnia, is she, she falls down a hole and she finds herself in this parallel realm. It's this whole other world that's happening. There's a lot of crazy things, but she begins to hear whispers that she has been chosen to defeat an enemy. And immediately she goes, oh, no, 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 no. And, and she literally, she looks at the people she's with, people, they're actually like creatures, but she looks at them and she says, it's not me. You've got the wrong Alice. And so many times in my life, I've looked at Jesus and I've said, Jesus, it's not me. You've got the wrong Ashley. And how many of you have looked at God and said, you've got the wrong one. Like, I, I don't have the power in me to do what you're asking me to do, to live this Christian life or to love my husband well or to be a good student or whatever it is. And... Um, and then we find a twist in the plot of Alice's story. We find out that there is this sword that has been endowed with the exact power she needs to defeat the exact enemy she's been called to defeat. And um, at one point, her mentor in the movie looks at her and says, the sword knows what it wants. All you have to do is hold on to it. And that's what we have to do as believers. The word of God is alive. It is living and active. And so in the same way that Clint said, God doesn't call us out. He calls us up. And so I'm calling myself up with you this morning to say, let's let our lives be drenched in the word of God. And um, the last thing I'll leave you with is this. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, the word of God is like a lion. 
You don't have to defend a lion, he says. Unchain it, and it will defend itself. Thank you guys so much for sharing from your heart. I mean, just powerful stuff. Um, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Father, we pray that as we take these words and we receive this encouragement and this uh, truly, um, like, like Ashley said, just the body speaking to one another, encouraging one another through the fellowship of your word. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would uh, receive this today in such a way. Thank you for Clint and Ashley and their way they've prepared and listened to your spirit today to, to, to share with us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Would you give them a hand for sharing? Well, uh, I had something else to say, but do we really need to? <laughs> I mean, come on. That was some good stuff. Um, well, listen, I, I really don't feel like there's a huge need for me to say much more. However, I, I need to be faithful on one thing. Um, we haven't finished the letter. <laughs> so we should do that, right? There's a few verses we haven't read yet, and so I'm going to read them and we're going to say a few things before we leave, by the way. Yes, okay. Ephesians 6.18 is where we'll start. And um, uh, Micah mentioned, read this verse last week, but I'll pick up again on it. And there's so much that has already been said today that as we read these words, it's just going to be like, it's just the Spirit, right? It's, he's like, and there's so much agreement around uh, what has already been put in Ashley and Clint's heart with what the Word is saying to us. It says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So he says pray in the Spirit, which we can't even get into that today, but on all occasions, right? Meaning walk with the Spirit, have an awareness of His presence. We don't check in, we don't check out with God we're always in. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he's the guy who delivers the letter from Paul who's in prison in Rome, to the city of Ephesus. Well, he'll tell you everything so that you may know how, how I am and what I am doing. Paul's in prison, so it's like, here's the update. He's in prison. Bread and water, here's his life. I am sending you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may, or that he may encourage you. And then he says this in the last two verses. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying Love. So these are some really powerful words to end this letter with. And, and, and I want to return to them in just a moment, but Ashley did something really good when she was talking about the narrative and, the, and kind of the scope of kind of what's happened. And here's what I want to do, because I want us to capture around the question. I asked them the question, how has Ephesians impacted you? And I want to ask you the same question. Uh, but I don't remember everything that we've talked about because we've been in it for, you know, almost several months. Um, I just kind of something real, real quick. I have some slides that are going to help us, and we're going to talk about Ephesians just really briefly, uh, because I know we're going to really want to go all the way back through this whole series in like the next two or three hours, and then we'll go home. Um, <laughs> but here we go. 
So he begins, he begins with this. After he says grace and peace and greets him, he says, you're blessed. He says, you are blessed. You're hashtag blessed, right? He says, you are blessed in so many amazing ways. You don't understand it. He's, he's not only blessed with the physical things you need, but you are chosen by God. You have redemption in God. You've uh, been forgiven by him. You have unlimited riches. And most of us don't really get how we've been blessed. And most of us don't. I love how he begins the letter this way. He says, you're blessed. You get it? Most of us, when we just think of it this way. We go into someone's house, right? We go into someone's house and we're looking around and what do we say? We're like, oh, your, you know, your house is great. I love that rug and all that picture frame so cute and whatever we say, right? And, and he, this is Paul though. He walks in and he goes, oh, nice house. By the way, do you, you've been blessed. You've been blessed, not just with all the, the material things, but you've been blessed in so many ways you don't understand the grace and mercy that's been poured out on your life. Paul doesn't take any time to get into the reality that we so often don't talk about, about all that God has done for us. Instead, we talk to one another about all the things that you've done, and we compliment you and what you've done versus talking about the goodness that God has done. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so he, you have been blessed, and then he goes on, and it's almost like this echo of that. He's saying, God is for you. God is for you. He declares that God is for you. He's not working against you as so many things in this world do. He's so for you. And not only do we need to hear that, some of us need to claim that because we may say, yeah, I know God's for me, but I don't really feel that God's for me. Well, I would say it's probably because if you don't feel like God's for you, it's probably because you're using the wrong tools and you're depending on the wrong strength. Because when you depend on his strength and you actually use the things that he's given us to use, whether that be his scripture even one another, the church itself, you're going to feel the strength of God at your back, and you're going to feel like God is for you when you actually start utilizing the things that he's made available to us. So when we quit walking in our own strength or quit trying to find answers outside of the scriptures, we'll actually discover that inside the scriptures and, we, and inside his strength, he's so for us. And he goes on, and I'm just going to do these quickly. He says, save he says, you're saved by grace, and I'm going to establish peace among you. You're not saved by your own strength, your own effort. You're only saved by grace and the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the only thing that will ever save you. You can't, ever, you can't ever earn your way into heaven. You can only do it through, the, through Jesus and his grace. We know this. This is like one of the, the deep theological understandings. I love that Paul always begins his letters with grace. But in this particular uh, book, he actually gives a theology of his grace and peace, that grace is through Jesus and then peace peace among us. He says, I've come to establish peace on earth. I've come to bring peace to the broken. He says, I'm going to break down the walls of hostility. You remember when he talks about that? He talks about the, the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, I'm going, to, I'm going to come and break down the wall of hostility. He begins there, but he's, it goes on, right? And he says, I'm going to establish peace in your relationships where you experience brokenness, where you experience divide. It's like this idea of peace is just ringing through this and you start to see this reality that Jesus is for everyone. He's for everyone. His peace ultimately it declares that Jesus is for the people that aren't just righteous and religious, but those who aren't, those who are broken and lost and hurting and those who are even thinking they're not for Jesus. Jesus is saying, well, I'm for them anyway. And Paul keeps going, and this is this, this first half of the book. He's just talking about the goodness of God. He wants you to understand and understand who he is and who you are. And he says, I want you to know the love that God has for you, which is what Clint talked a lot about. 
I want you to know that love, the love that God has for you. It's wider, higher, deeper, longer than anything you can ever fathom or understand. His love for you, although you may think you need to earn it, it'll never be earned. It can only be received because it's a gift. It's the only kind of love that you can ever, you can never earn it. You can only receive it. And so many people think God's love is conditional, but it's not. It's reckless. It's a reckless love for you. And then he goes on and he says, and God will actually do more than you can ever imagine. He'll do more than you ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20, one of the greatest verses in the book, it says that he'll do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And we can go on and on about that incredible reality. But this is how he ends the first three chapters. The first half of the book, he ends with this amazing, powerful statement about how God will do more than you can ever imagine. And he says, so if you believe all this, if you believe that God has blessed you, if you believe that you've been saved by grace, that he's come to establish peace, if you believe that God's for you, if you believe that Jesus is for everyone, if you believe that he loves you, and you want to receive that love, and you want to live a life in which you understand that he can give you more than you can ever imagine. Well, therefore, it mean, better means something. The very first word of chapter 4 is therefore. Therefore, this means something. And he goes on, and he says, and he, I couldn't with the word uh, therefore. You can go to the next one. So I put so, okay? <laughs> so, be the church. Everyone do your part. Therefore, this ought to mean something. All this truth about God and the goodness of him and about who you are, it ought to mean something. So be the church the best way you know how. Get gifted leaders so they can equip the people of the church and then everyone do their part. There's nobody that's sideliners. Nobody's an audience member. Nobody's a freeloader here. Everyone does their part. That's what he's saying. There's no people that are just watching a show going, oh, yeah, I'll take the grace of Jesus and I'll just kind of sit back and watch. He's like, no, no that's not how this works. You don't understand. Everybody matters. He said, while you're at it, you need to take off that old self and put on the new. In fact, you need to take off the person that you were before you met Jesus. That person's dying. It needs to be dead. And you need to come to new life in this new person. You can reimagine yourself, as Clint talked about, as you go through the bridge, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. And it is kind of everything really does, when you really take a look back, it just seems to just keep building what he's doing. It's almost like he's saying, whenever you're a new self, you're going to imitate God. Imitate Jesus in all you do. You're going to start understanding what he wants you to do. Don't fight it. Actually do it. Actually do the things that you know that God wants you to do. Start imitating his life. Start becoming like him. It'll be better for you, better for those around you, better for the world. And as we know, Paul did not avoid our relationships, and he says, so also submit to one another. So much of our life is connected to others, and Paul doesn't ignore this. He says, submit to one another in your marriages, in your parenting, in your work relationships. And often the world pushes us to what? It pushes us actually to the survival of the fittest in our relationships, to winning. And it says, always get the upper hand. You know, the world wants you to put yourself number one. And he says, no, 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 a life at the center of, uh, with Jesus at the center of your life, it's all about humility and it's all about submission. And you need to do that in your relationships. Submit to one another. And Paul begins to wrap up his letter, and he says, you remember, this isn't going to be easy. There's good and evil. There's the principalities of darkness. You're going to have to be battle-ready, if you will, because the enemy's out to steal life from you, to destroy you. But he's given us the resources, as we've already talked about, that we need in order to pick them up, whether that be the sword or the helmet or the breastplate or the things that we've already mentioned this morning so that we can be ready for the battle. And then I love 
what we just read a few minutes ago, whenever Paul begins to really wrap this up, and he says, I have a prayer. He says, I want to pray to be fearless. And he closes with this letter, and I want to kind of throw that scripture back up there. And it says this, pray that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. I don't know about you, but I read this, and I'm like, yes, God, this is it. Like, this is what I want for my life. And here's the deal. Paul says, pray this for me. He's telling the Ephesian church, pray this for me. Well, here's the deal. Paul's dead. So we don't have to pray that for him anymore. We can pray that for ourselves now, right? Like we can claim that prayer for us. And I'm like all in on that prayer. I want to pray that prayer for you, for me, for us, that we may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. How many of you know that that, that is not very easy to do? Fear is the greatest hindrance to any of us becoming who God's called us to be. It just is. That we would fearlessly declare and proclaim the gospel. And I read this and I think of so many stories in the Bible that only the Holy Spirit could have given them the courage to do what they did. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know the story of David and Goliath, right? It's a great story, and I'm actually almost done here. David is just a kid. He's a teenager, right? And he goes up to the battle. He goes up to the battle, and he's not supposed to be at the battle, but he sees the, the, whole, is, uh, the whole Israeli army trembling in fear, is what the, what the scriptures say, trembling in fear at the sight of Goliath. David shows up and says, what the heck? <laughs> Who, who is this pagan that defies the armies of our, of our God? And everybody's going, David, you need to calm down. You're too small. You're too young. You're, too, you're not experienced enough. His brothers even get angry with him. Do you know that story? His brothers come up and say, you need to go home. What the heck are you doing here? And how many of you know whenever you're supposed to do the thing that, you, that God's leading you to do, you're going to have to go through your brothers sometimes to get there. You know what I'm talking about? You ever come into the place where you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something and the people around you, they're supposed to love you the most, maybe your family even, they're going, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should do that. You need to have more sense about you. And, and sometimes you're gonna have to go through your brother, the fears that other people have because what you doing, that thing that you think that God may be calling you to do, you're actually exposing the fear that they have and they don't want you to conquer the fear that they have because then that makes them feel less about themselves. Are you with me? Are you with me? So this king says to David, this King Saul, he says, you're too young to do this, David. And David says, well, you know what? There's, I gotta, I gotta tell you something. When I was watching my father's sheep, I, I do that. Um, he says, a lion and a bear came to take my sh- the sheep away. He said, I went after the lion and the bear and I killed the lion and the bear. And what I love about that is that David had the courage when no one else was looking. You know what I'm saying? No one else was with him, but he had the courage in those moments that God was with him. He takes out a lion and a bear with his bear, I assume with his bare hands, which is just awesome. And I think for so many of us, what, what I'm trying to say is there's going to be moments in which you're going to have to do and have the courage to fearlessly step into things when no one else is looking so that God will prepare you for the moment to slay the giants in public. 
right? We have to do the things in private. We have to do the things that take courage in private to kill the lion, the bears, the whatever sins that we have in our life in private when no one else is looking, to do the things for Christ when no one else is watching that are bold and courageous for the sake of the kingdom, to say, I'm willing to do that no matter what because my audience is not the world. My audience is you, Jesus. My audience is you, God. I'm here to serve you. And if I'm willing to do it, in private, guess what? God will make you available and to be the person in public to slay the giants. And when I'm talking, I'm not talking violence, right? I'm talking about being in the spiritual realm, a person that says, I'm willing to fight the battles. I'm willing to do what it takes through prayer and through dedication and commitment because I love my father and I'm willing to allow the spirit to work within me so deeply that I will have the courage to do whatever it takes for the sake of the kingdom. This is what Paul is praying right? That I will fearlessly make known the, the mystery of the gospel, that I will declare it fearlessly. And I think for some of us, we have to today hear this in such a way that we say, I'm willing, God. I may, we almost have to pray it, don't we? Father, I pray that I'll be willing to do, and this is a prayer for all of us, right? That I'll be willing to do whatever I need to do in private. The courage that I need to do the things that I need to do when no one else is looking. The Father, I'll be fearless about declaring my love for you, Jesus. The Father, I'll be fearless to step into that place that's unknown. The thing about the future that holds us back all the time when we're fearful about stepping into something is we don't know how it's going to turn up. But that is what faith is about, right? Believing in something that we don't know how it's going to turn up. And, and there's so much that God wants to show us and do with us if we distrust him in faith that we may fearlessly step into the unknown, that we may fearlessly do the thing that no one else is doing, that we know someone needs to do it. I love it. I pray that we may fearlessly make known the gospel. So what is this book really about? The heart of it, the center of it, right? The bullseye that we have there in the middle, it's this. It's that Paul is essentially saying, live a life of grace and peace. That's what he's saying. And you're like, okay. Well, listen to what he, the very ending of what he says. You can go to the verse up there. It says, grace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now, I love how he returns to this. If you know much about any of Paul's writings, you didn't have to have been here for the whole series. You know how he began the book of Ephesians, right? Very ver Verse 2, actually, he says, grace and peace to you from Jesus, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins every letter with grace and peace. Then he gets into the theology of grace and peace later, but then he ends the letter by saying peace and grace. He does a little switcheroo. Why does he do that? Why does he say he's always grace and grace, grace and peace, grace and peace, and then he goes peace and grace. As I love it. He, he begins with grace and he ends with grace. Isn't that cool? He's like, listen, you don't understand. Grace is most personified in Jesus Christ. He's the beginning. Grace is most personified in the person of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. I want to have a life of grace in which Jesus is personified in me, in which I am in imitating Jesus in all that I am, that I have a life of grace. And then also peace. Peace is the cry of God's people for all time. How do they greet one another? Peace. Shalom. How do they depart from one another? Peace. Shalom. Why are they saying that? Because they have a dream, a vision that it will be God who will come to renew all things. And the renewal of all things is actually the perfect picture of shalom. It is perfect peace reestablished by God. 
A life of grace and peace is one that is full of Jesus and full of the call of his people for peace. So he says, live a life of grace and peace. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, and I just want to make sure I'm clear, Jesus is first and Jesus is last. Somewhere, we're somewhere in the middle. So the question that I want to end with is this. It's the question I asked our friends. How has Ephesians impacted you? Perhaps this little graphic on the screen will help jog your memory. Say, oh yeah, that, that's, the, that's the thing. That's the thing I got to remember. That's the thing I got to walk out of here. And it's not just another message. It's not just whatever. That's the thing that God's word is saying to me. God's word is alive and active. I believe it. He wants to transform me. I believe it. So I'm going to take it. And I had this picture of the, of the Holy Spirit moving through this room, right? In such a way that there's all these things that we're, we're recalling that God is, that is giving us and he's speaking over us. And, and I, I just saw some of us just grabbing those things, right? Just grabbing them and saying, that's, that's for me. That, thank Jesus. And, and I'm just praying that right now. I'm praying that right now you're grabbing that thing that God has for you. Maybe it's that you're blessed. Maybe it's that God is for you. Maybe that it's set Jesus for everyone. Maybe it's that you got to get something old, get rid of something old so you can claim the new. Maybe it's because, maybe it's that last thing. Maybe you got to be fearless right now. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just, uh, I just want to pray. But wait, Ephesians 1 says something great. Ephesians 1 says, he prays for us and he says that we would have, that the eyes of our heart would be open, that we may see, Right? So today, I'm just praying that even over us, that our, the eyes of our heart would be able to see the thing that God wants to show us from his word and transform us by his word. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that you start grabbing those things. Father, I pray for us. I pray that as a body, we would be encouraged by your word and that we would be transformed, more importantly. Whatever it is that we need to cling to today, when we do it by faith, would you give us the faith, Father, we need to trust you when we may be full of fear or full of doubt or full of uncertainty? Would you make us people who are fearless for you? God, we love you and we trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.